BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly... Patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Friend of a Friend podcast. It's your host, Olivia Perez. Sheena Yatanez is the founder of Kosas, a clean beauty brand she created in her Los Angeles home in 2015. While studying chemistry and biology at UC Irvine, Sheena found herself frustrated with a beauty industry filled with products that never felt good, healthy, or looked right on her skin. Using her scientific background and passion for painting, Sheena set out to create a one-of-a-kind lipstick with a strong focus on clean, non-toxic formulas and shades that redefine the idea of nude for all skin tones. The brand launched with four lipstick shades and every item had to achieve three things. Look just right, be easy and straightforward in application, and act as skincare. Today, Kosas has expanded its product line to 12 lipstick shades, lip glosses, balms, makeup cases, and their cult favorite products, the 10-second eyeshadow and tinted face oil. Kosas is sold on Sephora, Goop, Violet Grey, has a fan base of names like Gwyneth Paltrow and Giselle, and just closed a Series B funding round with investors like Leander Magine and Scooter Braun. In this episode, Sheena and I talk about how she built a beauty brand from her kitchen table, where Kosas will go with the new investment, and how she wants to redefine the idea of modern beauty. Here's my friend, Sheena Yatanis. Hi, I'm so excited that you're here. I'm so excited too, thanks. I'm a huge fan of the brand, um, especially just as somebody who literally has no fucking idea what I'm doing when it comes to makeup. Like, I just want the easiest possible thing. So it's just, you're to me, you're like an icon. That's actually most people. <laughs> really? I yeah. feel like today, now more than ever, we're seeing like the craziest influx of like, my 18-year-old sister can do my makeup better than me. I ever could in my whole life. She's just like probably really good at makeup. Like there's always like one person in the group who does everyone else's makeup, but like the rest of the group doesn't know how to do it. She's a YouTube baby, I think too. Yeah. She's of that generation where she like, like, she must have talented hands, you know? Yes. You need like hand skills. Yeah, I think Like artistry skills. Yeah, she's getting there. It's good. It's awesome. But so tell everybody where you're from and where you live now. I grew up in Orange County and I've lived in LA for the last 15 years, probably. It's not, I'm not far from home. What was your first experience with makeup? Very, very early. My mom worked in the mall, like as a rep at beauty counters before I was born. So I have no like memory of what my first memory was because makeup was always part of my life. What was the best makeup tip your mom gave you as a kid? She gave me really good tips and I didn't listen to them. But now all the things that I do are the, th- the tips that she gave me then. Like she was right the whole time. She always talked about big fluffy eyebrows. Always. Wow. She always talked about messy makeup being like a good thing and being cute. She was always really like super allergic to the beauty campaigns and like the very airbrushed, like very, very perfectly 
arched and shaped brow. Like she didn't like that at all. She liked things a little bushier, a little wilder. She would have liked smudgy eyeliner. She didn't like a lot of foundation. She would only use two drops. And she also talked about like using dark lipstick and letting it kind of smudge around, like putting on a bunch of lipstick. Like the not fine liner on your lip. No, like no lip liner, just direct, like use the bullet directly. This is how she taught me how to put on dark lipstick. She's like, use the bullet directly. Like don't wear any other makeup. Use like a really dark plum color, smush it all over your lips and then smush your lips together. So it kind of goes outside the lines. And I know what she means by that now. She's right. It like, it's, it feels more youthful and feminine. It's not like a perfect lip. No, it's, it's like a, like, it looks like the lipstick of an interesting person. I love that. I mean, I didn't get that from my mom. She only would just yell at me when my eyeliner was bad. Yeah. I mean, she would yell at me and be like, why did you pluck your eyebrows? Oh, I never She was right about that. Thank God my mom like really got that on me where she was like, do not touch your eyebrows. And I still don't touch them. (laughs) They're like bushy craziness all the time, but I love it that way. Yeah. That's like a, it's like a gift, you know, you don't mess with that. I know. Was there a moment that you feel as a kid that you had an entrepreneurial spirit? It was always in me to have ideas and to make things out of nothing. So I think entrepreneurial, I wouldn't ever have thought of it that way as a kid, but I thought of myself as a maker. Like I wanted to invent things. I didn't know what that meant either, but now I do. I don't know many people that have the background that you do and are creating what you do. Can you tell us a little bit about what you went to school for um, and what you studied? Yeah, I went to school. I went to college in my undergrad for science. So it was a program called Biological Sciences. I was a, I was pre-med. We studied biology, chemistry, and physics. And then I ended up going to grad school for business after that because the entrepreneurialism kind of came out and I did know I I was in college when I had the idea for the beauty brand. To hear you say you were creative as a kid and then you chose pre-med. Not saying that that's not creative, but why did you choose to study science? Sciences are really creative. I don't think people really know that, that, especially when it comes to like something like organic chemistry. It's very inventive. And I worked as a research scientist. So that is that that entire line of work is figuring out something that's never been figured out before. And like, you have to have a creative mind to do that. And I think the things that like the learnings that I took from the sciences were seemingly unrelated. Like when we would, would, there was like a time that I learned about learning about like what substances dissolve other substances, like learning solvent chemistry. And that, like that study of solvent chemistry led to a product like tinted face oil, because it was in that room that I learned that like items can dissolve like items. I remember I was actually, I was probably like 19 years old and I was in my chemistry class and the teacher was talking about like dissolves like. So if you have like a very oily substance, the only thing that can clean up another oily substance is another oily substance. And I was like instantly thinking about my skin because I like I was a teenager and I was like struggling with acne and oily skin and like sebum production. And I, and I understood the biology of sebum production. I was like, how do I get rid of it? And here is this person telling me the only way you can dissolve an oil is with another oil. And I was like, is that the key to like really reducing this acne, which is the total opposite of what I was hearing from dermatologists, which was like yeah. use oil free products. Right. And I heard that my whole adulthood. Yes, by the way. it was oil free. Like yeah. that was that's what everyone was talking about then. There were no there were no oil skincare products. Like I had to go to 
a health food store where they carried like different kinds of oils that people hadn't heard of and essentials. And I started experimenting there and and taking, getting things that were near my college. I'll definitely testify to all of this. I have the oiliest skin. I have like Moroccan blood in me and we tend to have a lot like more oilier Mediterranean skin. I've been using the tinted face oil for the past two days. And usually I can like feel my skin during the day. Like I can feel it get oily or can feel it dry. I literally don't feel anything on my skin right now. Yeah. It feels I, like I, I have, have no that skin on. type too. I have yeah. the same skin type as you. It's really amazing that you did that because there was so much misinformation for so long. And I noticed my skin would either like really dry out or like get oilier and there was no solve. So I'm so excited to like keep putting this in my routine and see how it goes. But let's go back a little bit to when you started COSAS. It was 2015, but you had the idea for it in college. Yeah, I had the idea for it in college. It was maybe eight or nine years before I actually executed. What pain point did you want to solve at the time? I found makeup to be really uncomfortable. I found it to be both uncomfortable and unflattering. So I was this person who loved makeup my entire life. I experimented with every beauty brand. I tried every color. I was It was like a study for me to learn everything about everyone and every single shade there was. And all the time I felt like I don't really feel like this is flattering and I don't really like the way it wears over time. I don't really like the way it feels on my face. And, and I got to a point where I would wear makeup every day. And I noticed that I couldn't really go makeup free sometimes when I wanted to, like wearing the makeup was affecting my skin in a way where I didn't look so good without makeup anymore. And I wanted to fix that. That's amazing. Where does the name come from? The name comes from a philosophy of the layers of the self. So it means that the self is a layered onion type thing with five layers and the physical layer is just one layer. And the physical layer and the way that the physical layer looks is impacted by all the layers that are underneath it. So it's really like who you are on the inside, the thoughts and feelings that you have, the things that you've learned in your life that all result in what your physical layer looks like. You can only impact your external layer through your inside, not by applying something to the outside. That's really beautiful. How did you discover that? Along the way in my life and through discovery of spiritual concepts and understanding and developing like a strong framework of who I am as a person and seeking counsel from all over the place, something I still do. I love to hear that. It is so rare that people I think are honest about just being able to talk to somebody about the things going on in their life. That bothers me that there's like even a stigma against therapy, that people are like afraid to talk about going to a therapist. It's like, I actually love going because it's an unbiased opinion. It should be a requirement. It's like brushing your teeth. I mean, if you have the luxury and the ability to do that, of course. I don't believe that therapy should be reserved for like a crisis. It's an ongoing long-term During the... I always love to ask this question on the podcast because I think it must be this like really scary moment when you either have a full-time job or you have some sense of job security and then you decide to start your own business. And there's that really scary in between. Was there a particular tool that you used as you were heading off to go do your own thing that gave you insight into running your own business? It took time. I was very slow about it. I think it would have been probably better if I had talked to more people 
but this particular project is so personal to me. I wasn't like trying to start a business to start a business. This was like the thing I was born to do that I felt like I had a huge point of view on and some special talent in terms of like creating color and creating formula. And I was about to let everyone know that. And there was something very emotional. I think that was more difficult than foregoing job security to me. Well, it must be such a personal process because it's like, you know, you see these big beauty brands today and they have the CEO and everybody on the marketing team and then an entire like science factory, like somewhere else on the other side of the world and everything's so disconnected. So it must be really fun and challenging to be the founder, the face, and also like the chemist behind it all. Yeah. So I didn't know that. (laughs) I didn't know any of that. I didn't know that it would be a good idea to have a marketing team and maybe a good idea to have an executive team. I was like, I think I will do all those things. Let's do that for a while. It was a very quiet and slow process. And you developed the entire line being clean. The entire collection's clean. Yes, it is. At the time that I developed it, clean wasn't a word that people were using. And I wasn't really thinking about it that way myself either. I was very hypercritical of the formulation process because I knew what these ingredients were. And that my background allowed me to know what was in things and why. And that's how it ended up being clean. I, it was because the criticism and the like looking at each ingredient and knowing that everything needed to have a purpose and to fulfill the ultimate goal, which was that this had to feel really good and work really well. I, that's how I discovered which ingredients to use. It turns out that clean is actually the path to getting there. I think one of the things that I hear people talk about a lot is that they feel like clean makeup doesn't work, but I don't even feel like conventional makeup ever worked. Like that's why I did this. So clean, I would say clean makeup works better than conventional makeup because it doesn't have all those ingredients that are unflattering or feel terrible when they're on your skin. And they don't make your skin even worse at the end. They make your skin absolutely worse. Yeah. Clean ingredients don't do that. What went into the research and development of developing a clean beauty line? It really first and foremost was formulation for me. And I approached it the way that I would have approached any research project, which was to start with an objective and ask, what are we trying to accomplish? And what's our real life like? So it was really looking at myself and the people that I knew, like, how do they interact with makeup? Like, how do you pick the right color for yourself? Like, what's the process that you use when you go into a store to find the color that works for you. And I started there and and spoke to a lot of people and started to understand what their challenges were and how I could be helpful in those challenges. Thinking about if we want to make a lipstick, for example, that looks really flattering, has really amazing payoff, is really easy to use, and you don't feel on your lips. How would we achieve that based on what we know about chemistry? On like a pie chart of creativity and science when it comes to creating the perfect lipstick. Mm. That's more important. It's really 50-50. When it comes to color, there's actually a lot of science involved in the color too. And then when it comes to formulation, there's a lot of science, but there's a lot of creativity in the science because you're looking for a path that's not been forged before. Like, you know where you want to go. Like Rome is the destination and there are many ways to get there but none of the ways that anyone's ever paved before are right. So you're going to have to pave a whole new one. And so there is like a a marriage between creativity and science that makes that possible. How many, like what's the creative process like for you when you're sitting down and creating new colors? 
That, I mean, I would love to be a painter in my next life, but like to be able to sit down and like create lip shades out of that, that's like beauty and art that I just would love to be a part of. It's really fun. You can come and do it with me sometime. Um, sometimes it's very quick because it's a feeling. And and I think that comes from thinking about color all day, every day. And then like some something in the subconscious process just like clicks and like the color reveals itself to you. Like I see you see it in your head. Yeah. And that happens sometimes. And then sometimes that doesn't happen at all. And and it takes, it can take like 50 iterations to get something right, especially when it comes to matching skin tone and really like look like I'm taking a lot of time to look at your skin right now. And it's so complex, very complex color. There's every color in the rainbow is involved. I love that you said nude is contextual. Can you unpack yeah. that a little bit? Yeah. Nude by itself, like when we say that, that doesn't really mean anything. Like I think when we talk about like there is, yes, the color I think that people are talking about, which is like beige and that's a color. But when we say nude lip, like what we really mean is we want a lipstick that looks like our lip and that's not beige. So it's like in the context of a person, nude means flesh tone in the context of a textile nude means beige. So it really depends on what you're talking about. And what you mean by that color. What were you really looking for when you said nude? Like you were right. looking for something that you could put on and look like a better version of yourself. Well, if you put on beige lipstick, that's not going to happen. You're going to look like a worse version of yourself. Yes. Right. Exactly. Yeah. You want to look like you have natural, healthy blood flow to your lips. I've been just playing around with a lip shade, a lip liner or lip glosses that kind of match my color a little bit just to amplify them. That's what I've been for, like I think, the past six months. That's what I've been tackling. Yeah. And that's actually the best selling color in the world is the one that makes you feel like you. I think what I love most about Kosas is that it is there to fill a need. It doesn't feel like you're just creating another lipstick to have another lipstick. But as we were saying earlier, I feel like beauty and the beauty industry as a whole right now is deeply overwhelming to me. It's like if I don't know how to do like a three tier eyeshadow or like contour my face, I have no chance here. Why did you choose to go simple in a time where there's so much excess? So contouring is something that we use in painting, like to create a three-dimensional object out on a piece of paper. It's very complicated. And it's not something that like some people have some raw talent, but most of the time you go to school to learn that. And most people don't have that kind of skill no matter how many times you watch somebody do the tutorial, like when you watch Bob Ross do those Bob Ross paintings, like it's very entertaining. Love watching Bob Ross. I can't then go and do what Bob Ross did just because I watched him. And I think that pressure that you feel is shared amongst a lot of people because they you think that like, oh, I can, I just saw like 25 people do this on the internet. Like, why can't I do it? But you're not going to be able to. It's it doesn't work that way. You're not going to just like pick up a tool and become a genius, you know, just like, that's not how it is. So I saw a lot of people struggling with that in all my discovery of like asking, how do you find a lip color that works for you? And actually what I did find was that most of the time people were picking a lip color that did not work for them and they didn't know why that was and they shouldn't know why that is. That's the job of the makeup makers to know. That's where I was coming from. Was there a moment after starting Kosas and building it that you felt like you had a big break. You were like, okay, this is 
oh, great, this is going to work. I had moments where I thought this is going to really work. And then I had moments where I thought, oh, my God, this whole thing is going to fall apart. I think about that every, I feel that way every day. So I'm glad that we yeah. share that. It's, there were some times early on where we would get like an amazing press and that was very impactful in the very beginning. And there were, there were a couple times in the first like three months that we got like a New York Times article or a shout out in the San Francisco Chronicle. And it would actually like, I would see people buying lipstick because they read about it. And then I was like, oh, okay, people like it. And they're saying good things about it and they're telling their friends. And I felt like early on the feeling that, okay, this is going to really work. But then there were other moments where people started being like, oh, a batch of your lipstick tubes are like coming apart. And, and I thought like, I have to get all these tubes back. And like, if that person fell in love with my lipstick, they're not going to come back and try it again. And like, I felt it makes you feel like you're starting all over again. How did you manage that situation? I put one foot in front of the other and found a different lipstick tube that closes magnetically and wouldn't have that problem anymore. And then started all over again. Wow. Magnet is, is amazing, by the way. It's the best feedback. It like makes you feel like the magnet makes you feel like. I was sitting at my desk like just flipping it the other day. Yeah. Because like it's a like it's like a force. It makes you almost feel like you're not alone. Like you (laughs) and the magnet are having this experience with each other. What went into hiring since you are someone that has so many different roles within the company? What was the thing that you needed the most when you started to hire? I rely really heavily on my team. I like I don't do the marketing I like there are people that are way better at that than I am. I do set the tone creatively. I do two things a lot of, which is I set the tone and the vision overall for the brand, like in terms of why we are doing what we're doing and what does it all look like? Um, and then I, I'm very close with product development, of course. So I, I formulate and I create the shades and then I rely on everybody else, like in terms of supply chain, to actually like get the products made and and created and get from point A to point B and, um, and then an amazing, wonderful marketing team. And I have a lot of support now. I love your brand marketing. Thank you. I think that there is a horrible machine somewhere that's like just creating millennial marketing and making every brand look the same. It's somewhere. I don't know where it is in the U S but they definitely exist. There's like three, three of them. (laughs) It's a real thing. They create brands. Yes, they do. And they all look the same, but I don't know. There's something very retro about yours that makes me just want to like put some lipstick on and jump in a pool, even though that doesn't sound logical, but like, that's what I want to do. That means you want to have fun, which is exactly (laughs) what I want to hear. Because like, I think that's one of the things that I always, ultimately makeup is fun. You don't have a like technical release schedule, right? You're not like releasing in seasons or anything like that. Not no. seasons. I don't know why I said that, but you know, yeah, what I, I know mean. what you mean. Like, are we, do we have like some specific timeline that we must launch something even if there's nothing? And no, not at all. Like it has that. to be, it has to feel like it's like exploding out of us. Like if this doesn't be born right now, like we're not going to be happy. So that's why we, and how we decide when and what to launch. Yeah. I think it also probably speaks to the intent of your brand. You're not just releasing to release, but that must be hard in an industry where it's like, again, all about access and output. Is it hard to keep up? I would, you would think it would be, but I actually think that like the people, like the women appreciate it. And so it turned out to be a good way to do it. Yeah. I mean, also I'm not going through a lips, lipsticks last me a really long time. Like I'm not going through a lipstick 
in three to four months, which would technically be a seasonal change. So it's like, I like to like love them and use them over time. And I don't, I feel the fact that like I'm always being inundated with something new doesn't let me really like love what I am working on. right Yeah, now. I agree. And it's like, do you not, do you not feel like super strongly about the thing that you just made that you feel like making another thing, which a lot of times that does happen. I have heard from people that like beauty marketers think that women don't really want their problem solved. Like they just want to buy stuff. And I'm like, okay, well, you're not a woman that, that is saying this to me. So 100%. let's start there. And that is not true. Like maybe if you didn't disappoint them on that first lipstick, they wouldn't buy 25 other ones. Like no one wants to fill their drawer with a bunch of things. That's not fun for us. No, I just want the one thing that works. But so you sell on your website, you sell on Violet Gray, Revolve, Bloomingdale's. What's the thought process behind third-party expansion? Do you ever plan to go into retail? Into our own retail? Yeah. Uh, we might have something later this year. Sneak peek. I didn't tell you guys that. Yeah. <laughs> In the early days, like when we were a very small brand with no money, going into retailers was a way for us to convey like w- what this brand was and actually have it like be seen on shelves and and get exposure and like create the idea of like where we fit into the overall beauty landscape. So like choosing those retailers tells a story about what kind of brand we are. And that's why we did that early on. And to this day, I think that there's something really fun about actually going into a store and touching and feeling makeup. A hundred percent. And the way that our formulas are, something like tinted face oil isn't really a format that we had seen before. So it's not like you know what a tinted face oil is yeah. or like how it's going to work for you. You do almost have to like feel it to believe it. And that can only happen in a retail environment. Yeah. With that being said, when you're developing products, how much of it relies on creating an innovative product versus just creating a classic staple that you know you can do better because of your form- formula? But We definitely do both of those things. It depends on the, like a lipstick, for example. Like a lipstick looks like a lipstick. It doesn't really appear innovative, but it is because of the way that it's formulated, although it looks the same on the outside. Something like tinted face oil or 10 second eyeshadow. Those are very different like, formats. Never heard of those before. Having so much fun using them for the first time ever yeah. at 25 years old. Like it's yeah. not something that I've ever heard of before. No, they they weren't they weren't things that you would have seen before, which is really cool and solves a problem and also really challenging because then someone has to teach you exactly how to use this new thing. And the tint oil, sorry, the tint oil, tinted, tinted face, face oil. oil. I'm okay. It's Friday. <laughs> um, <laughs> has definitely become a cult favorite. Like Gwyneth Paltrow is loves yeah. it. Like it's something that is all over the internet. What do you think that success is? Like I guess it's what we all wanted—a way for <laughs> our skin to look really amazing, and also for our makeup to be doing something good for our skin. I like I the tinted face oil is one of those, th- those things that when people put it on, like they automatically get compliments on their skin. Yeah, it's I'm actually really impressed by the way. So I put it in my hand, rub it, and put it in my hand, rub it, and then put it all over my face. Yeah, and I'm really impressed by how thin it is, but how much coverage I'm getting. But yeah. then the little freckles on my nose are still shining through. Yeah, it covers what you don't want people seeing, but like it lets your skin still look like skin. That's what we all have ever wanted from a foundation. Yeah. And I didn't feel like usually, so I'll go in with foundations are too heavy for me. I've always worn like a tinted SPF, but like even then I don't really, sometimes I work from home. I don't want to wear an SPF every day. Yeah. Um, But I haven't found anything that 
it's also really buildable. Like after I put it on, if I had like a spot concealer afterwards, it went on so nicely. Yeah, it's it has all the benefits and like features of a foundation in that the colors are really calibrated and they're very like made for artistry. But then it has like the other features of what a tinted moisturizer, like what you want tinted moisturizer to be, but those are typically not super calibrated. So they end up looking very like muddy on your skin or like feel really tacky. Nothing I hate more than when it starts to like, what's the word? Pill? Yeah, that or it will like, you'll see like the marks on your face. Like it picks up. Yeah. So tinted face oil is designed to not do all those things because it has like, it has powders built into it. It has pigments built into it. It has a certain blend of oils that both absorb and also moisturize and also kind of like some of them stay, but some of them go deep. So it's a, it, there's a lot going there's on there. There's a science there. to it. Yeah, there's a science to making it just feel like nothing and like skin. So I'm not only your biggest fan. You have so many other biggest fans. But as you scaled and grew the business, you had some investors come along from like Leander yeah. Medine to Scooter Braun, which are probably the best people you want to invest in your business. Yeah. But what has been the most important thing that investors, having these investors come in, What's the biggest change that they've made to your brand? It really depends on who we're talking about. So like institutional investors, more like traditional venture capital have been really helpful in helping us become more process oriented as a company, like really helping us build the company. I think what was really good about the timing of when we took on investment was that we very strongly had an identity as a brand already. And I think that that's not an area I was really looking for input on in terms of who we are as a brand and and what we look like. I think those are things that are really innovative, really personal, really like founder led and very much like heart and soul things that should be there. The investment piece is more in terms of building the company, which is less innovative. There's tons of innovation and tons of creativity on the brand side, but on the business side, there are things that make sense, that are more formulaic, that are more traditional, that help the organization run more smoothly. And having people like traditional venture capital really be involved in that process and kind of like force and encourage us to become more well-oiled as a machine has been wonderful for the company. Um, And then, uh, you know, choosing partners that don't want to get involved on the brand side and trusting the like instincts of the company itself to make those decisions on their own has been very critical too. Okay. So we had both institutional investors and we had a handful of angels that I wanted to work with involved too. And I think what's been really interesting about people like Scooter or people like Leander or Ariel is that they are media properties. They're connected to people every single day. They're hearing like live right now what people are talking about and like what their challenges are. People are very intimate with them. They speak personally to them about beauty and health and wellness and a variety of things. And so they can be thought partners when we're thinking about like making one choice versus another and why we would do that. They're really great people to bounce things off of. What was the most challenging part about going after investment? The most challenging part the first time around was not knowing the mechanics of investment. And you're dealing with investors who are professional 
investors. Like that's all, this is all they do. So the yeah, deck is their job. Yeah, it's pretty stacked. You know, like when you're yeah. an entrepreneur, you're maybe going to go through this process once or twice or three times in your entire life. And like, this is what they do day in, day out. So learning, just learning the vocabulary, I think in the beginning was really challenging. I was like, uh, what is like anything? I, I just didn't know any of it. I always feel so intimidated in situations like that, where it's like, you can learn as much as you possibly want, but if you're going up against someone that does this for a living, you're probably... Yeah, like you're not going to know as much as them. (laughs) Good investors will not make you feel bad about that, though. That's something that I learned. And that was like kind of a really common sense, like human tool to use. Like, are you making me feel badly right now? Then you're probably not a good investor. Are you making me feel comfortable and like you're talking to me in layman's terms so that I can understand what we're doing here? And you understand that I'm a creative entrepreneur and that's why you should be supportive of that. Then great. Like, let's keep talking. I love that. I had a lovely conversation on an episode last year, which you all probably have listened to. It was Jen Rubio's episode, The Founder of Away. And she had very recently announced her $1.5 billion valuation, which is insane. But then on the same day announced that she was getting married, which are two amazing notes in life. But I was particularly just so moved by it because I do think that women are taught that we can't have it all. When she came on the podcast, I asked her all about it and um, she gave some really, really amazing feedback. And I wonder if you have any tips or advice for people that think they can't have it all or have been told that they don't have it all. I mean, I, I think as a woman approaching being an entrepreneur in a totally fresh way, which is like, I'm going to be an entrepreneur as a woman, not as a, not an entrepreneur, a female entrepreneur trying to act like a male entrepreneur. Um, I, I also think that like generationally, we're having a, a lot of more like open views on sharing responsibility within the family and things not necessarily like, you know, everything falling on the, on, on the woman when there's a child, like that's been how people have talked about things more historically. I'm like, I think the, the more we demand that that not be the case, the better Um, It's up to us to keep talking about it, though. And we can't do it all by ourselves. I think that's also something that people don't love to talk about. Like one of the things that I hear a lot of mothers talk about, whether it's in a school environment or, you know, amongst other mothers, is like sometimes there can be a conversation of like who has help raising their kid and who doesn't. And like, as though that that's some sort of measure of like, who's a better mother or not. Like, that's something we definitely need to get rid of right away. It is not possible to be at work and also taking care of your kid at the same time, being supportive of each other in that and knowing that you can be a totally present, very impactful parent and also have a job is true. That's like, that is a truth. And there's something really special about my daughter watching all this happen. That was my next question. Yeah was how does she feel about it? Especially a makeup brand. Like, oh my God, I if I was a small child and had a mom who had an incredible makeup brand, it would be better than the Easy Bake Oven that I had. Yes. <laughs> like, it's totally it like better. that. It's like Easy Bake Oven and also my mom has a makeup brand. Right. Yeah. It's, I mean, I, I, I can't speak for her experience. She's six. Um, but I see that she's totally impacted by it. Like if I go to her school for a back to school night, type thing like she she will have like left me a drawing and it's like all this like COSA stuff and she's like super involved and she's like I just I see her like she wants to put on like these like athletic clothes and like put her lip fuel like right in her pocket 
in a way that's visible. So she she really gets it. She's really into it. She's been made a part of it. I've been really lucky in that for the entire lifetime in the business, our offices have been at my house. And so she sees like all these people come wow. to work every day and work on this That's project. incredible. Yeah, it's really cool. She's part of it. She's like the office mascot. You've always been at your house? Always. Have you ever thought about getting an office or do yes. you like being at home? No, it's getting a little overwhelming now. <laughs> we will be moving soon. Oh, I kind of like the idea of having it be like an at-home bakery vibe. I know. <laughs> Maybe that's like the really old soul in me, but there's something that is so lovely about that, about having it literally be close to home. It's, it is really magical. I think like that it, it's like an actual like strategic thing that we talk about as a company. Like, is there going to be any impact of us creatively? moving from this type of environment. So like in terms of what we're looking for and where we're looking to move so that we can really bring that with us. Because I think that's what gives Kosas a lot of texture. It doesn't look like every other beauty brand. At all. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, I'm so interested in this because I work from home, but I've been reading so much lately on the idea of on the importance of the things that you do in the morning and the way you prepare yourself for the day as someone who works from their house. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I like could literally stay in my pajamas all day long, not wash my face, like not put a drop of makeup on. But in 2020 specifically, even working from home, I'm getting up. I'm doing the whole thing, putting clothes on, putting makeup on. I don't care if I'm working from my house. And it's actually made me feel more productive because I am like sitting down and being a human it's ritual it's ritual 100 percent. is there something that you have changed in your routine as you've worked more in your house and realized that it helps you be more efficient and more productive well to be (laughs) fair it makes me scared (laughs) to be fair i don't work from home my house is an office if that makes sense like in the morning 27 (laughs) people are going to show up there and start working inside the house so Like, yes, it wouldn't be like a situation where you're, it's just you and you're like writing or doing something where you're you're working from totally. home and need to. Okay, so, but regardless, if I had 27 yeah. <laughs> people show up, I'd probably still stay in my pajamas you if would. I didn't try to be a little bit more rigid with myself this year. That's really funny. Yeah, no, I, I'm like very, I'm all about ritual and I have been right. for many years. So I like, I schedule every little thing and I stick to it really very closely and carefully so in the morning I. as part of that too. I'm crazy like that. It also eliminates a lot of decision-making, like a lot Ooh. of unnecessary decision-making. Unpack like, that a little bit. Like I used to choose a different coffee mug every single day. Like I don't even do that anymore. I use the exact same one every single day because I know I'm going to be making 500 important creative decisions that really need like all of me to make. And so anything that I can eliminate outside of that or ritualize or create comfortable moments for myself around, like that I don't have to think about or plan or, you know, they're really, they're very much like built in to my life so that they not only anchor the beginning and the end of the day so that I don't feel totally wild during the middle, but like they actually free up a lot of mental real estate too. Wow. That's amazing. I'm actually going to go through my day and see what decisions I can nix out. I'm furnishing an apartment right now. So, um, can't do that right now. You can't do that right now. That's a <laughs> lot I, of decisions. Oh, God. It's painful. It's actually something that I don't like about myself. If it's like on the, it's high on the list for me. I'm very indecisive. What's your sign? I'm an Aquarius. What's yours? Scorpio. Okay. We're pretty opposite. Yeah. I'm an Aquarius moon, though. I'm a cat moon. I'm a cat rising. 
Okay, we're close. Yeah. We're getting there somewhere. Yeah, I'm very like wishy-washy with the water. Can't decide. I'm trying to be more decisive this year because I feel like business-wise, it's just make the decision, move on. Yes. Yeah. I'm all about that. Yeah. I'd love to switch over a little bit just to talk about the beauty industry as a whole. I do think that there has just been such a an important shift to transparency and inclusivity in the industry. And that's been really amazing to see. But as the CEO of a beauty company, how are you being transparent with your audience? I think that I mean, we're listening a lot and hearing what's important to people and understanding and also a kind of involving people in the process of something as, as an example, like what to do about plastic. Yeah. That is a huge topic. And I think it should be a huge topic. And that's really good to know. And what we're doing is we're kind of keeping people up to date in terms of like what's available technologically. Like where is the plastic industry right now? Like what are the things? Because it's all unfolding in real time. So two months ago, we couldn't use 100% post-consumer resins to make this certain piece of material in six months, we will be able to. So explaining that, I think, is really important. And it helps people feel like they're part of the process and they're part of, and and know that being able to trust that we're actually also like totally abreast of what's going on. Because I think that knowledge is the key. Like knowing where your options are is very important in terms of creating transparency. You know, going deep on ingredient philosophy, I think is important too. understanding that like, you know, why is it that we don't use rare oils, for example, because, you know, or how is it that we create formulas from scratch? How are formulas usually created in beauty? I think that's something that people don't really know a lot about and that there are like, there are libraries of stock formulations that exist in the world and brands pull them from different manufacturers and like launch them at different times. I don't know if people know that so much, but we're doing some work in explaining what that's like and what the difference is in terms of formulation in what we do as a company and like who, who are the people that are actually formulating? Where are we getting our ingredients from? Why are we mixing these things together? Like, what are we thinking about when we're formulating something? What happens when you pull a stock formula and you decide to throw in like three or four drops of something that sounds good so that you can call it like, you know, some kind of skincare thing versus like, what are we doing when we're using something at like 500% of that quantity so that it's actually effective on your skin? So that, you know, there, there are a lot of different areas of first understanding like what has been happening. Why has it been happening that way? What do we think about that? Like what's our, our thought process around that? And what are we planning to do differently in the future? Yeah, that's amazing. I think there's so much red tape right now when it comes to just the plastic crisis in general. I think a lot of, I see a lot of brands put out, they're like, okay, we reduced the plastic on this, but I think it's amazing that you're showing a little bit more context and say, okay, this is how we're getting it. These are the issues that we're facing. The change needs to happen, but the harshness of the change, especially from a consumer level, I think to me needs to change because it's not something that could just happen overnight. It's totally not something that can happen overnight. And it probably wouldn't be good for it to happen overnight because it has other implications that we're not thinking about. So like, and we don't know the implications until they've actually happened. Like understanding even like how does recycling even work? Like let's start right. there before we wonder if something's recyclable or not. Like how do we actually recycle something properly to make sure that it does get recycled? Things that are really small, like don't ever make it to recycling. Right. So, And even when they make it to recycling, a lot of things aren't even broken down. No, they're not. Yeah, yeah that's true. Or like they require 
you know, a certain amount of energy to do that. And then there's, that's an impact or like, you know, creating something out of like heavier, like metals that are refillable, but they're very heavy. So like, there's like an entire freighting situation that's going to happen there versus using something that's like super lightweight and seeing if that offsets the freighting energy. It's like not super direct and straightforward. And I think that what is transparent is actually admitting that like, we don't know, no one does like the full implications of everything. And if someone does know something, like we we love to engage with them and learn if we can. So the other day I was talking to someone about clean beauty and I, of course, always want to go for what's cleanest for my skin, especially if I, it's something that I'm wearing on a day-to-day basis. You know, I want it to feel light, wearable. I also want to know it's healthy. But I also am a person who has had Botox before. Do you think yeah. the two are mutually exclusive? Not at all. I don't think that being like so hard on yourself is ever really a good thing or like being like, look how virtuous I am because like I have made no mistakes, like is not healthy either. Like I think that wellness and health are very holistic and they involve your emotions and your thoughts and your acceptance of one another. There's a compassion element and there's also like an actual direct health benefit too or health element too. So all of those things are involved. Like, I don't think like extolling your virtues and saying like, I'm better than you. That's, that's the opposite of what wellness is supposed to be about. It's not very accepting as a philosophy. I would love to talk a little bit about just clean beauty globally, because I know in the EU, they have over 1500 banned chemicals. chemicals. And here in the US, we only have 30, which is insane. I think that like, what's really interesting is that like, even though that's the case, Clean beauty is growing faster than any other category in makeup. Definitely. And we're self-regulating. Like, that's wonderful. That means that it's like we found our own truth. Like, we did it. And I'm really happy about that. What I'm so happy about is that so many people are asking about clean beauty. Everyone, like, even it used to be such a, like, fringe thing to care about, like, health food or wellness or clean beauty. And it was, like, very small boutiques that were actually caring, but that's not the case at all anymore. Now you really see it everywhere. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. You're obviously in the fight for cleaner beauty, but in the industry as a whole, is there something within the beauty industry that you'd like to see changed? My biggest focus in the beauty industry right now in terms of makeup is what the, like, what is the face of beauty right now? Makeup should be clean. Like that is just a given, but in terms of like what a brand is and what we're promoting and like, you know, what example we're setting I'm really motivated to lead the change on the face of beauty that we have been seeing for probably the last 10 years or so, because I think it's very unattainable. There's something about it that requires so many steps and so many products that when you actually buy all those things and they sit in your drawer and you look at them every day and don't use them because like when, how, where, where would you have the time to use that many things and layer that many things on your face? But there's a reminder that you didn't do it and that that's almost like a reminder of your failure as a woman or your failure as somebody who takes care of themselves. And that's not fair. And I, that it's really beauty brands and through product and through creating things that are simpler to use and don't like we can tell the truth about that, like you actually don't need to layer 10 different things under your foundation and then on top of it too. That's part of transparency to me. And and it's also the thing about the industry that I feel we've been shifting and has been resonating with people who come, who tell me all the time that they actually feel like 
they didn't used to wear makeup because it was too scary. And like now they discovered Kosas and now they wear makeup again. And it's like, welcome back to the beauty conversation. I love that. I also think that there's such an important part of your story that's making beauty feel a lot more accessible. There was a long time where like, I, there are so many beauty products and so many things that like, I don't think beauty needs to be, I, it was either like sold out somewhere or it was uh, super expensive. There's nothing I hate more than really expensive beauty. I know that sounds horrible because there are some things that, you know, beauty's pain, beauty costs money, whatever. Sure, like on and on the skincare side, but yeah. Sure, but I also am just like the biggest advocate for making things that everybody can access and everybody can use. Like there shouldn't be a hierarchy when it comes to the things that make us feel good. Totally. And I mean, I think if something's going to cost a lot, like there needs to be a really good reason for that. And it can't just be because like packaging's expensive. Right. That's a that, terrible reason. Oh my God. But what is a beauty product that you think still needs to be invented? There are things that we haven't released yet that I have figured out. So I've already invented them. You but can also interchange invented for like innovation, like a product that you just think needs to be innovated on. Yeah. It's like mix it up. Like, I think that I don't think we've really nailed like how to make easy eyeliner. I don't even know if that's possible. Like, cause maybe drawing a thin straight line, like will never be an easy task. Right. And there's no way to do it. But that would be amazing if there was. Yeah. At least a tool that like, okay, obviously we have the tools that like you can put here and you like do the line. Right. But they're not easy. And it's like, I can't hold all the things at once and then also focus and like hold my eye and all these things. Yeah. No, you still have to draw the line in yeah. the end. And it like still has to be straight. And when, when you're working with something that inky, like it can very easily become wavy. And then now you, you think it was supposed to be easy because this thing said like I made it easy and then it wasn't. And so you're like, okay, obviously something's wrong with me. But- that's what we're trying to avoid is you thinking that there's something wrong with you. It's not you. It's not easy. It's really about what that face is like. What am I supposed to look like? That's like the question people ask themselves, like, do I look OK? And like, what am I supposed to look like? Turns out like people feel the most comfortable when they look mostly like themselves and like polished and like clean and healthy and like the best version of themselves. That makes them also feel really comfortable. Oh, I hate that question. What am I supposed to look like? Like, what do you want to look like? What makes you feel good? Yeah. Yeah. Well, you're supposed to look like you. <laughs> That's what you look like. So, like, how can we help you feel good, too? In your own skin, no bells yeah. and whistles. Easy product. Love that. What's one tip that you have for entrepreneurs or even just people that want to get into the beauty industry today? I think always know why. There must be a burning point of view a really strong point of view on something that you feel like a religious fervor about and like really want to share, like really, really excitedly want to share with a lot of people. Thank you so much for coming on. Totally. It was so Anytime. nice to have you here. I'm such a huge fan of Kosas and I hope that everybody listening gets involved as well. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Friend of a Friend. Before you go, make sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and at tiermedia.com. And for more behind the scenes of the show, visit us at friendofafriend.us and follow me at Liv Perez on Instagram. Don't forget the two Vs. See you next week.